When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia, Northeast Tennessee, and North Carolina. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this week's edition of the Tech Sideline podcast. On today's episode, we'll wrap up spring practice for Virginia Tech football and discuss the key, t- key takeaways from the 2023 spring game over the weekend. That's coming up on episode 294 of the Tech Sideline podcast, and it starts right now. We record on Tuesday, April 18th, 2023 from the Tech Sideline Studio at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. We welcome you in, whether you are listening on your favorite podcast service or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there so you don't miss any future TSL podcasts. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Before we get into it, I'll introduce the crew on set for today. We have to my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Across the way, senior staff writer Andy Bitter. In the fourth chair today, founder and general manager Will Stewart. Behind the scenes producing is Nick Brown, the architect of that awesome new intro video, which debuted for the first time in this podcast. So thank you, Nick, for producing that. It looks awesome. And I'm your host, Katie Adams, which I haven't said since January 31st, which seems like forever ago, but it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Happy to be happy to be back today talking all things football because what's better than that? First off, how was the weekend for you all? The good weather is hopefully here to stay in Blacksburg. Nice crowd at the game and had baseball going on all weekend. Yeah, baseball got a sweep. Had a great event at, at McLean's on Friday night. Uh, got to tailgate on Saturday. Uh, Virginia Tech scored 30 points in a football game. Uh, <laughs> But the other team managed to not score. But that's okay. Um, but, yeah, overall, can't complain about that weekend, I don't think. I was looking at the spring game score from last year because I thought that the white team had struggled sco- scoring last year, too, and it was like 29 to 26-9 to nine was the final score. Maroon team dominated in that game as well. But uh, Yeah, I guess so it's all about the So this is the, the first time since 2021 a Virginia Tech football team has scored 30 points? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the first time since 1995, Virginia Tech has not scored a point. That's the, game. the, that's the, other the spring side, game right so. there. Yeah, both streaks broken. Well, let's jump right into this football discussion. We got a glimpse into what's been going on during spring practice with the spring game happening over the weekend. The Maroon team completely dominated by a score of 34-0. to zero. But let's first talk about the way these two teams were split up. Maybe on paper it looked more even like Brent Pry wanted it to be, but there's a reason one team had such an advantage. What would you attribute that to? I think uh, 
when you look at the white team, I think there's two things to look at. First of all, Virginia Tech has no offensive line depth at all. I think their defensive depth is okay, particularly at linebacker and, and even a de- defensive tackle and, and cornerback. Um, but I, that, that offensive line depth is the scariest thing on the entire team to me right now. So when you combine a, uh, a backup offensive line, basically, with a bunch of freshmen with – a quarterback who was only in his 15th practice in the system. And they also uh, gave that team all the new wide receivers who were also adjusting to, to a system. Then, you know, things weren't, things were not running smooth uh, f- for the white team offensively, but that's not surprising when you consider the youth of that backup offensive line and how little time drones and those wide receivers have in the system. Not to mention, I think both coordinators were on the maroon side. Uh, coaching that team. So they stack the, the coaching staffs a little bit that way. There's no good way to do an offensive line split in a spring game. I mean, if you, if you go first team, second team, the uh, uh, maroon white, then it's kind of unbalanced like that. They try to split up a little bit and then their starting left tackle has a back injury and they scratch him before the game. He was going to be on the white team. So that, that hurt that group and you don't really want to split it up. So you got ones like the one tackles with the two guards. Cause there's a cohesion that's there with, with offensive line play. So uh, as much as they try to make it look like a real game, it never really works, <laughs> especially with the offensive line like that. And, you know, it's been two years running. I think the results have been like that. To stay on the topic of offensive line for a minute, the portal opened back up on Saturday and stays open for 15 days. As we know right now, Ron Crook has offered two offensive linemen from the portal. Are those crucial pieces? Do we need one of those to commit? Or oh, what does yeah. that look like? I would lo- like to add a piece or two in the offseason. They actually offered a third last night, a kid from Wyoming who I think is the, is the best out of all that they've offered so far, but it also has the biggest offer list and it's going to be a very difficult get. Um, I would like to add uh, – interior lineman i'd love to find a tackle if possible as well i mean if you think about it there, there is a kid from penn state in, in the portal an offensive tackle who has played 72 career snaps now tech hasn't offered him to this point but let's just say for the sake of argument that they did and he came to virginia tech his 72 career snaps would rank second on tech's team amongst all the offensive tackles that's how inexperienced uh the, the, the tackles are. I mean, Xavier Chaplin gets scratched. He's a redshirt freshman with 27 career snaps. He gets replaced by redshirt freshman Brody Meadows with zero career snaps. I mean, so that that's the depth you're talking about at offensive tackle right now. So, uh, I, you know, Joe Rudolph did not appear to be a guy who pursued very many guys in the transfer portal. And now in the span of three or four days, Ron Crook has offered three guys. So uh, it's, it's early in the Crook tenure, but I, I think you're seeing – little bit of difference in philosophy there i think Hokies fans should set their expectations realistically with this offensive line additions though the portal is very tough with offensive linemen not a lot of guys are available there quality guys i should say when they are it is like piranhas on a feeding frenzy <laughs> i mean the offers come out troy everett uh from lord Botetot just down the road there he went in and virginia tech was one of the first to offer and he, there was an article at a, a former outlet of mine that uh, ran the other day that <laughs> was telling how, how busy that first day was the the number of people who contacted him and, and it's it's liberty it's jmu it's uh i forget who else offered but oklahoma okay. was one and so you, your first day you get an offer from virginia tech local school everybody's like all right that would make a ton of sense and then oklahoma comes in and offers as well and I have a feeling there are going to be more offers on top of that. So, you know, offensive line is tough because it is such a developmental position that not, got a lot, not a lot of guys leave immediately. They take a while. And the guys that do leave, 
you know, typically the programs aren't all broken up to see them leave yeah. because the ones that are good, they're going to lock up and they're going to want to keep there because those are tough pieces to replace. So I would say don't get your hopes up too much on the offensive line in the portal because that is a tough thing to get. And and the guys that do slip through him, mean, it's just it's tough to make an impact. So, so to give an example, Troy Everett, he started the first two or three games of the season. But by the end of the season, he was a rotational piece, only playing 10 to 15 snaps a game. Um, he's 285 pounds. He's undersized. He held up well in pass blocking, did not have a particularly good year when it came to run blocking. He's got three years of eligibility left, so there's plenty of development to do. Uh, but at the same time, he's not a guy who would come in and start probably. Yet he's got an Oklahoma offer, a Virginia Tech offer, and will probably add more offers, which kind of shows you I think that a lot of schools don't have quality offensive line depth. It's, it's the hardest thing to do in football is to have like nine or ten offensive linemen that can play. I mean, what Virginia Tech had there for a year or two under Vance Vice was the exception rather than the rule. Right. And I, I guess I should point out that one of the most effective transfers they've had in the portal era was Brock Hoffman. That's true. Of course, that was a player they had a history with, recruited a little bit out of coming out of uh, high school just down the road and and obviously was looking for a step up even even though Coastal Carolina ended up being better than Virginia Tech after he transferred here but it's it's just it's not as common to pluck guys out of there on the offensive line as it is like receiver or running back where there are loads of those guys in the portal and it seems like it's just finding the right fit well both of you guys posted articles on techsignline.com giving thoughts from the game we'll hit on a lot of those today of course starting with quarterback Grant Wells led the Maroon team to a win and a couple of back-to-back impressive drives from the start. He certainly looked comfortable, as you'd expect. What did you think of his decision-making, accuracy, and overall performance from Saturday? I thought he looked poised. I thought he looked like a guy who had been here for over a year, that has been in college for four years now, that, you know, somebody who's getting married next month. (laughs) I mean, he's a mature kid. He's been here for a while. He's been in college for a while, and that shows. And you know, I, I guess the big key on this whole thing is can he take that from the practice field and translate it to the field in the fall? And that was the problem last year. He looked very good in the spring, and everybody said the same thing about him last year, and that just didn't just, just didn't translate when he got to the real games last year. So that's always going to be a, a caveat with this whole thing, but I thought he made good decisions. I, I thought he was smart with the ball. I thought he threw good passes. He had a touchdown run, even though I thought – Maybe they they didn't whistle that dead when they probably could have right before the goal line, but you know he'll take it uh, at that point. But I, I thought he looked like a guy that is probably you know the leader right now in the quarterback race. And I say that I still think it's pretty close, and it could go either way. But if I have to give an advantage one way or another, I'd say Wells right now. Yeah, I, I think the key for drones is to watch film of the spring, and then apply what he's learned. He should be in a position to to put up a better fight, so to speak, in, in August. Like, I think a lot of people heaped unfair expectations on him. Like, some of those responses you got to your tweets saying what Wells was running with the number one offense in practice and everything, and people were freaking out. I'm like, did you really expect a transfer with 23 career passing attempts to come in and win the starting job in like six practices. Also, it's one day of practice. Somebody has to go out there first. Right, right. <laughs> they, can't, yes. they can't put both quarterbacks on the field at the same time. I don't right. think, think somebody's experimenting with that, but it's yeah. not going to happen here. Let's put it that way. And I, and I get it. You know, he had a four star next to his name coming out of high school. But if stars mattered all that much, then four star Karen Drones would have beaten out the, the quarterback at Baylor from this past year who was a three star. Right. So throw the stars 
out out the window. I mean, I think I think uh, drones is a good fit for the system. Um, I think they could. I think it could potentially be used this year, even if he doesn't start. But uh, expecting him to come in and like mount this serious challenge early wasn't realistic. Now he's got 15 practices plus a game under his belt. Um, it, it, the game isn't necessarily reflective of who he is because he was a, at a disadvantage behind that line and. Obviously, one of his receivers didn't do him any favors d- during that game. Um, I thought he got off to a slow start. Um, there were a couple passes that weren't very good. He's got some technique issues where he, he'll throw off his back foot sometimes, and when you combine it with that long throw in motion, it looks very, very awkward and can throw timing off. But I, 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 the talent is there. He's a, a developable talent. And what you have to remember is like he's got three years left. Like you've not hit peak Kyron drones yet. Um, ultimately, the competition will continue to go into August. I thought Wells looked fine. Um, you know, his arms never been an issue or anything like that. He's athletic enough. He's a three year starter in college and he's attempted over 2000 career passes and he's got a year in the system. And now his wide receivers are better. Um, I think his starting offensive line is better. I think the running backs are better. So. I think everything around him this year on paper is better, which means the offense should be better. Now they just got to go out there and put it together in an actual game. Just with drones, I mentioned this in my five thoughts. Uh, I think I have the days right here. Since he enrolled in January, he's been here 89 days. Uh, and until the season starts from now, I think it's 139 days. So I mean, it just tells you he yeah. has not been here very long, and he does have a lot of time before the season starts. So there, I'm, you know, I'm not going to call this competition over. Uh, at this point or anything like that. But, you know, I would say Wells is the front runner right now and, and probably should be. I think it goes worth noting that Brent Price said he has two quarterbacks he can win with. And last year, that probably was not the case. The, <laughs> they said the same thing, though. Yeah. They like to pump their guys up. I like it when he said that. Everybody's like, oh, so Wells and Pop Watson, right? That's what I, they meant. I, like, I tried to. I don't think that's what they meant. I remember uh, last year I asked Joe Rudolph how many offensive linemen he had that he could trust. And I was trying to ask him how much depth you have, basically. And he's like, I trust those starters. And then he wouldn't talk about any backups at all. And then as it turned out, like even even the starters weren't weren't up to par last year. Uh, so I don't know. But c- c- he was honest without, but he didn't want to go into detail about it or anything. But you, you never co- you don't, you never hear a coach when they get the question, uh, how many how many good quarterbacks do you have? You you never hear him say none, right? <laughs> I think Leffler did that when it was Logan Thomas here. It's like, nah, it's just Logan. That's it. Yeah, nobody else. That was pretty much the way you approached was, that. <laughs> if Leffler was nothing else, he was always honest. Logan Thomas, the last quarterback that started back-to-back seasons. I think that'll be a big storyline if Grant Wells is able to do it this year. Oh, Brewer. Surely... I think Brewer had back-to-back, but he really? got hurt. He got hurt of that season. Yeah, he got hurt. Uh, got hurt in the opener against Ohio State. We, we haven't had a my nightmares. Tech hasn't had a quarterback go back-to-back seasons without getting hurt. It was supposed to be Jackson, oh, but yeah. he got hurt. Yeah. Right. Um, it was Handed it was kind of thing. hooker, but but he started off the season, yeah. uh, you know, on the COVID list. I think they had that thing in the Fuente era that nobody started and finished the season in back to back years or something like that. I mean, it was it was just constant turnover. And that's part of the reason why Justin Fuente is no longer here, is he couldn't figure out the quarterback situation. But uh, it would be unusual if Wells were to start again, and, and probably beneficial to have somebody that's that's had that experience before. 
Well, we saw a lot from Wells and Drones, of course, but the spring game is always a time to get a peek, get a peek at some of those guys who may be lower on the totem pole. One of those was Pop Watson. I feel like you can't talk about the spring game without mentioning that 40-yard touchdown <laughs> pass to Tucker Holloway. I thought, uh, you know, he kind of lofted the pass out there, but that's fine because the receiver was so open and you just let him run underneath it. Who was well, the corner that got – was it Elijah, Elijah Howard? Elijah Howard. Okay. That, that's right. No, I, I thought – I thought the way he, the way Watson handled the play with his timing was very good. It was a play where they were running the running back up on a wheel route, and there was a safety on the running back, and the safety was was kind of a, you know, he wasn't all the way down on the line of scrimmage, but basically you couldn't tell whether the safety was going to stay back in coverage or come up and defend the running back, and Watson just waited, and at the point that the safety committed to come up and defend the running back, that's when he threw it deep. So I thought his timing on the play uh, was very, very good. You, you're talking about a guy with four years of starting experience in high school, and that's a big difference from some of these other quarterbacks Tech has recruited recently. Um, you know, like like Devin Farrell started for, for two years in high school. Um, Dylan Wickey only started for one year in, in high school. And Ian Taj Bullock only started for two years in high school. And a couple of those guys were behind, you know, other quarterbacks. Actually, I believe all three of them were behind quarterbacks who went on to play, you know, FBS football. At the same time, you know, you can develop so much more if you're starting for three, four years in high school as opposed to one or two years. I mean, no question about that. So I just think from a mental standpoint, Pop Watson is probably ahead of probably uh, Dylan Whitkey just because of the number of reps. I mean, Whitkey started for one year and didn't throw for a thousand yards in the one year he did start. That's a limited amount of experience. And I think he's starting from a higher base than guys like Bullock and guys like Devin Farrell did when they, when they originally got here. Uh, He's skinny. He's skinny. He's like uh, 176 pounds, which is about what I am, except he's two or three inches taller. So it makes it, you know, he makes him, you know, paper thin, basically. So he's got to hit the weight room and, and, you know, he needs to red shirt, hit the button, Nick. And but uh, it's got to happen. But at the same time, you like what you saw out of him with the caveat that it's four plays in a spring game. Yeah, I mean, I'd point out that he, he did that against what the third slash fourth team defense that he's out there doing it with. Uh, I think you look at a lot of his highlights in high school, and it's spectacular, first of all. Uh, I don't quite know if the competition in Massachusetts high school football is, is quite on par with some of these other states that are out there, but you look at a lot of it, and it's just his natural ability taking over. And he is he's doing Tyrod-esque stuff on the backfield where he's circling around or running away from guys or running on the field and kind of cross. I don't know if you can get away with that against as many college athletes. So it's about getting in the system, learning the system, and then, you know, enhancing that kind of play with those kind of natural gifts that he has. So, you know, I think the future is bright with him. I would maybe pump the brakes right now in terms of, oh, he's, he's going to get on the field this year. I, I think a redshirt year is probably in order. And, uh, you know, the way Pry is talking about having two quarterbacks they can win with, uh, I think that kind of indicates the direction they'll go with those young guys. Let's talk targets here. A lot of new faces added to the wide receiver room this offseason. But I'd say one of the upsides to this game was seeing the progression of guys like returning guys like Stephen Gosnell and Tucker Holloway. I think uh, when you add competition to the room like that, uh, well, first of all, obviously, Tucker Holloway was going to approve anyway, going from his freshman year to a sophomore year, going through spring practice, an offseason in the weight room, things like that. And Gosnell has obviously changed his body, but even more so than, than the natural progression side of things, it's, I think, adding that competition. I mean, when you bring in, you know, three receivers, two of which are already proven players at the FBS level, 
um, then I think it kicks everybody up a notch because you know you have to be at your best every day or you're going to get passed. Uh, and I think, you know, Pry always talk, talks about competition. All coaches talk about adding competition because competition, I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but it does. It makes everybody better. Um, so I, I think all of those guys have benefited just from the fact that they're battling out every day. And, and, you know, from what little we were able to see of practice, you know, sometimes the the number ones are Jalen Lane and, and Jennings. Sometimes it's uh, Gosnell. Sometimes, you know, Holloway's in there. Uh, Lofton, if he's healthy, might have a chance to get in there. But there's, there's just a lot more options at that position th- this year, um, as opposed to last year when it was kind of like, uh, if Caleb Smith doesn't get open, probably going to get sacked. That's kind of what it seemed like for for a lot of the year. It legitimately feels like they could go six deep. And now we always ask them before the season, like how many receivers do you need? And they're like, we love to have six to eight. Every receivers <laughs> coach I've ever asked that question to has said that. And they're, they never approach having six to eight receivers. I, I, you know, six, I could see this year, you know, with Jennings, Lane, Felton coming in, Gaznell, uh, Loft and, and Holloway. That's a pretty good group there. I could see all all six of those guys contributing. Then that doesn't mean they will, because you know catches will naturally just be pared down. I mean, there's only so many to go around. Some guys always naturally emerge in a situation like that. But I think if you could rotate those guys in and, and trust that those guys are on the field, and then who knows with some younger guys. Christian Moss has shown some things. He had his hand wrapped on the on the spring game. I'm not quite sure what he did there. Xavier uh, and Turner Bradshaw, interesting guy. Uh, quick guy as a youngster has some developing to do as well. Uh, maybe one of these freshmen coming in, but you don't have to count on them. You could count on those top six guys. I think that that's pretty helpful because like you said last year, I mean the, the second and third receivers you put in the game and there's a reason why Daquan Wright played so much slot receiver in the second half of the season. They just didn't have anybody they trusted to do it. So this year, I think they have wide outs who can be wide outs on the field and they can go fairly deep in that group. Out of the three transfers, Jalen Lane didn't play. We didn't see a ton from Ollie Jennings, but Daquan Felton, Chris, you said, looks the part almost going back to a guy like Damon Hazleton. Yeah, I think he's probably the best-looking receiver Tech has had from a physical standpoint since Hazleton. I mean, 6'5", I forget exactly how much he weighs, but, uh, you know, he looks the part in, in, in that uniform. And, I, you know, he's he was at Norfolk State for a couple years, and, and you know, obviously they, they can't put as much money into resources and staff in a strength and conditioning department as Virginia Tech can. So I expect he's benefited already quite a bit from just being at a higher level program in terms of the training that you get. Uh, so I think he's a guy who might end up being a sleeper. What I like uh, is the fact that he and Lane both have two years left if they choose to use their COVID year. Uh, Jennings is gone after this year either either way. But those other two guys, if you know, they show flashes this year or become major contributors this year, well, guess what? You've got them for another year. And, in fact, you can say that for just about the entire offense. So I, I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's exciting. I would have liked to see them throw at least one goal line fade to, to Felton just to see yeah. if that six, five frame plays, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's going to be a play they'll run in the fall. I'm sure because every team in the country does it, even though it's probably better to run the ball when you're down there. But if he's truly that tall and I don't know if they fudge the height numbers at all, uh, but I would like to see him just play that tall on the field and see if he has that skill to go up over a cornerback. The second interception that drones through. Um, Felton was in there and he was running a smash route. He came in on side on the slant and then ran to the corner, ran to the pylon. And he had outside leverage 
on uh, Derek Canteen, who ended up getting the interception. That was a throw Jerome should have made because you had a 6'5 guy matched up against the 5'11 guy going towards the pylon, and the 6'5 guy was between the defender and the pylon. Like, like that was, like, if Felton does his job there and the ball is on target, that's a touchdown. That was, so that ball got intercepted. Jennings could have had it. It was a great play by Stroman. But ultimately, that got picked off because Drones, I think, threw it to the wrong guy. I think you have to understand there that your 6'5 guy is matched up against the 5'11 guy, and you've got a you got a great chance to make that play in the corner of the end zone. But uh, we saw the two catches he made from Drones. Both were quick slants. And they were, I believe they were on back-to-back plays. And he's just such a big body. He's the type of guy you need to be throwing slants to. Wells tried to throw a couple of uh, slants against man coverage. And they were both incomplete. And I saw some people were saying, like, he was a... Uh, he was... Um, stared down a receiver, threw it into coverage. But that's the type of throw you want if you're a quarterback. It's man coverage, and you depend on the guy running the slant to be strong enough to shield the defender behind him and make the catch. Felton can do that. Like, he's the guy. He's the he's your slant guy this year, I think. Um, is That would be, after seeing him play once, uh, that, that seems to be something that would be a strength. Going back to what you said, Andy, about the wide receiver room and the ability for them to go six deep, I went back and watched the spring game recap podcast from last year, and Chris, you were talking about how uh, Jaden Blue is our wide receiver one. So I think that's just something to note that we don't know it, like how yeah. much the wide receiver transfers are going to pan out on the field. Something like that could occur again, but we'll have to see. I think there's a higher level of athleticism here than there was with uh, Jaden Blue. Um, it's funny, in the preseason last year, he told me when he was at Temple, he had to rely on his athleticism to get open, but that Tyler Bowen's offense was just going to scheme him open. Obviously, that didn't work out. If anything, it was, you know, the other way around in hindsight. But uh, I do think Virginia Tech has upgraded their athleticism at wide receiver. Um, I think they're guys like, I mean, you watch Jalen Lane catch a pass against Miami and then take it 80 yards and almost score a touchdown. There was nobody on the Virginia Tech team that could do that last year. Right. And you look at somebody like Holloway, who barely played last year as a receiver. I mean, he, he got on the field and he did some stuff as a punt returner at the end of the year, but receiving reps, what do you have, like two catches, something like that on the season? Like very Liberty. few. Yeah. yeah. Very few catches. And this year he looks like a legitimate threat out there and somebody who can stretch the field and make a play downfield. So, uh, you know, that's just something that it's just more people, more people they can throw to this year. And obviously I think that helps Wells quite a bit because last year he was like, man, I hope Caleb Smith gets open. <laughs> and sometimes he did and Wells didn't see him, but they, yeah, there were a lot of times where they're just not open guys down the field. Yeah. Depth is never a bad thing in college football. Moving on to running backs. I know that was a position group that you guys were intrigued to see. What makes you feel better about them after Saturday? Well, the fact that they didn't play the top two guys probably tells me that they feel pretty good about those two. Uh, you know, Malachi Thomas only had a few carries, uh, Bashal Tootin, I don't think he got a single carry, a couple of receptions, yep. but that was it. Right. And that was his day. Uh, so the fact that they didn't play tells me that they feel okay about those guys. I, I think it was probably encouraging to see Bryce Duke and Chance Black run for so many yards. I mean, I know it was a, a kind of a mishmash defense they were going up against, but the, the offensive line seemed to clear some holes for those guys. They ran hard. Chance Black got into the end zone a couple times. 
Uh, Jeremiah Coney, I think, ran the ball okay when he got in there at the end. So that's just guys that are producing at that position. And, you know, it was so such a huge room last year, and they cut it down so much and didn't really have a lot of production, and, and guys were hurt last year. It's just an encouraging sign to see them actually get some yards there. I, I don't know if, if Duke or Black will have – uh, huge roles this year, but if it gets that far down the depth chart, it's probably encouraging that they have produced a little bit. These days, you need that third running back at some point, at the very least. You know, I know for Virginia Tech, in some years, it seems like they've needed four or five, or they chose to play four or five when maybe they shouldn't have, but uh, they'll need the third running back at some point this year for whatever reason. Um, I, I think there was a there was a reason they put those guys on the same team behind the starting offensive line. I think they really wanted to see what those guys could do and, and give them – I think they wanted to figure out – maybe that's a competition. Who is the third back? And the coaches themselves wanted to figure out whether they had a capable third back or not. Like like we talk about, we joke, there's not a lot you can tell from the spring game. But there are certain situations as coaches where you can create scenarios to figure out maybe who your best third option is at running back. Or if it's really, really tight – and you want those guys to have a competition, and you're like, okay, go play in front of, I don't know how many people were there. I'm not 20, 25,000. Do don't not know. bait me into this. But, I would not venture a guess. Put them in a live scrimmage situation behind the starting offensive line because, you know, those guys probably in regular practice don't get a lot of reps behind the starting offensive line. Sometimes you can't tell how good a back is until he can get in a rhythm and uh, behind the starting group. And they both they gave both of those guys enough carries to get into a rhythm. So I feel better top to bottom about the running back group than I did a year ago. I would just like to point out how hypocritical we are. Last week, we are like, don't read anything into the spring game. This, <laughs> job, this is the only thing we could talk too. about because the spring game yeah. happened. So sometimes you can read a little bit into it. But. Yeah. Assuming Malachi Thomas and Bashal Tootin serve as the one-two punch, which of those two guys, whether it's Bryce Duke or Chance Black, would you feel more comfortable sliding into a one spot if something were to happen, whether it's Malachi Thomas can't stay healthy or yeah, something else? Probably Duke. He's bigger and more durable, I think. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Chance Black, for the first time, went out there and broke tackles and did things after the catch. But so did Bryce Duke. So th that's one of those things like just based. I thought they were both good. And I, I leaned towards Duke, but at the same time, I didn't see them in any in any of their their other scrimmage situations this uh, this spring. But uh, I, I just I, I think I like Duke's size and Black's build still is more of a wide receiver or cornerback than it is as a running. Well, back. it seems like they've been trying to switch his position ever since he got here. Yeah. He gets here they're like oh, he can play some receiver positional versatility, and then. You know, Bill Roth tweeted the thing the other day. It's like, is he going to be a running back or is he going to be a boundary cornerback? And I'm like, I hadn't even considered him being a boundary cornerback. And well, the interesting you know, if, if Bill Roth is saying that he's getting it from somewhere. He's not just pulling that out of thin air. So I'm, I'm guessing he's heard that from somebody uh, in the know that that could be a possibility. But uh, it, it just it doesn't wouldn't seem to make much sense to me when you have a lot of cornerbacks and not a ton of running backs. And he actually looked pretty good at running back the other day. Tech offered a transfer portal cornerback type from Rhode Island this morning. So to me, that kind of seemed, seems to indicate if they were going to move Chance Black to cornerback, they probably wouldn't have offered this guy. I How many guys think. are they going to cut from this roster? I mean, they have to get rid of five just to get I, to the max scholarship limit. Are they going to like prune another five I, on top I've, of that? I've already forgotten the kid's name, but I, I watched his tape, and he's played mostly outside corner, but also plays in the box a lot, and he's a good tackler. And to me, he looks more like a safety. 
And I think they're, they would try to bring him in for safety depth because right now the backup safeties are a true freshman and then a guy, you, and a converted wide receiver who, you know, Jalen Jones, he had a tough time tackling the, the other day in space, which isn't surprising um, considering he just got moved to that position. So I think they could do with another, with a proven safety, or especially a guy who could potentially play safety or corner or nickel. You know, so I think that's the idea there. But yeah, I, I think they've got to get, they got to shed five to get down to the 85, but I, I, it's going to end up being more than five. Probably, yeah. yeah. And there's only one player in the transfer portal right now, Kenji Christian, right? And you would, right, and we, 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 he was already accounted for because right. he, he hasn't been here all spring. Okay. So We'll see. As we get to the halfway point, it's a great time to remind you that this show is also brought to you by the Hokie Way. At the Hokie Way, they align student-athletes with service to others. As a result, they are able to amplify the impact of charitable organizations in our community. Together, we can create a win for us all. Learn how at thehokieway.org. Thank you so much to the Hokie Way and First Bank and Trust Company for their sponsorship of the Tech Sideline podcast. Well, it's also a good time to check in with the fourth chair and Will Stewart. Anything from you today, Will? I have a few things. So first of all, let's give a shout out to uh, Nick Brown for the awesome podcast opening. Um, I went back and I looked and we redid the podcast opening in August of 2021, I think. And that's when we did away with the original music that we had and and put in the music that we've used for about a year and a half. And many, 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 many people hated that switch. So we finally got back to the the cool music that if you're, if you're a um, longtime listener and viewer of the podcast, you'll recognize that. So that's very cool. And um, that intro video that you see, that's that's all Nick. That's all his creativity and deciding to slide the videos in and out. So very cool. That video is awesome, by the way. It that is. should never change. That should be like the CBS entrance to college football on Saturdays. It hasn't changed in 30 years. That video should never change. That is high praise. So when Nick is in his mid forties and he's, he's, a, he's got We're a still using his video. Still, uh, it is, it is adaptable to future um, iterations of podcast hosts and coaches and stuff like that. So, so very cool. Uh, some news items that have come out since we did our last podcast, uh, Grant Bazili will not be back next year. He has signed a, three-year contract with an Italian professional team. Uh, he recently became a, an Italian citizen. So uh, from what I understand, that allowed him to sign a, you know, longer than like a one-year contract. So per David uh, Cunningham, that means that Tech now has two scholarships open for next year, and that is pending Hunter Couture's decision, which we don't know yet. He's still got a COVID year available. Um, in other basketball news, uh, 2024 commit A.J. Swinton, has decommitted. Um, Swinton was a guy who played uh, for a year under former Virginia Tech assistant coach Mike Jones at DeMatha. Swinton was correctly perceived as a Jones recruit. So when Jones left to go to uh, Maryland, there was some concern that Swinton would decommit, and that has happened. Um, now, that, of course, doesn't affect next year's roster. This is a player who would be a senior in high school next year. If any of what I'm saying is wrong, correct me. I was no, doing my research right. while you guys were talking. Yeah. Um, and so let's get to women's basketball. They received a commitment from a transfer from uh, Minnesota, Alana. Now, her name, I took four years of high school French, and her name looks like Michaud to me, but apparently the Minnesota uh, pronunciation guy was Michaud. So Alana Michaud, uh, 6'2 forward, um, averaged 
started all 30 of their games last year, averaged uh, 13.8 points per game and 7.8 rebounds per game. The rebounding number is attractive to me, and also the fact that she's 6'2". Um, so had nine double-doubles, which is, which is pretty good. And, and I watched some film of her, and if you're wondering if she's a direct replacement for Taylor Soul, no, not really. First of all, she's three inches taller than Soul, and not many people are, are as athletic as Taylor Soul, who got drafted by the WNBA. So she is not a one-to-one replacement for Soul, but she does bring that element of size and, and physicality down inside that I think we all, all agree tech needs. Um, and she's got two years of eligibility. So there are now nine scholarship players for next year, and a women's basketball team has 15 scholarships. So there are actually six scholarships available. So you got to figure that Kenny Brooks will continue to work the uh, transfer portal. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that Triumph NIL has unveiled a new platform, which is, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. It's quite a, uh, an evolution from what they were doing. Um, if you go look at Triumph NIL's website, you can now, so first of all, they've introduced memberships, and the memberships are anywhere from $10 a month to $6,000 a year if you want to be a heavy contributor to uh, um, NIL for Virginia Tech. And I went through every one of these different levels of membership, and every one of them says that 100% of your membership fee goes to the student athletes for NIL. And I wrote down a list of stuff that is offered through these memberships, and this may not even be a complete list. It is shout-outs from Triumph student athletes, live streams, merchandise, meet and greets. Uh, they're going to do podcasts. So there's going to be a lot of content, uh, you know, surrounding these uh, Triumph athletes, signed items. Um, you really have to go look at it for yourself to see what they're doing. And, you know, Triumph's roster to this point has consisted of anywhere, depending upon the time of year and who's going in and out, uh, 55 to 70 student athletes. And uh, Doug Hicks of Triumph told me the other day that uh, they now have close to 200 student athletes signed to their roster. So these are athletes that through your membership you can have access to in, in various ways. Again, you got to go look at it. And speaking of Triumph, um, and this ties into spring football, uh, of course we do the Triumph Spotlight every week where one of the Triumph student athlete comes in, student athletes comes in for an interview here with our student production and interviewing team and we are scheduled 10 o'clock Wednesday morning to have pop Watson come in. So that's very exciting. They, they triumph waited for the spring game to happen to see who kind of bubbled up to the top and, and pop bubbled up to the top. Um, it, think about this. He's, he graduated high school early. He's actually supposed to still be in high school and they're sending him in here to, uh, to be interviewed by us on triumph spotlight. So that's very cool. And, yeah, we're looking forward to that. And Katie, this was supposed to be your last podcast, but we had to draft you to do the Pop Watson interview. So very good for you. So you'll be with us uh, for one more session. And one last thing I thought Virginia Tech fans might uh, find interesting is that Kashawn King has landed, entered the transfer portal, and has landed with Western Michigan. So very cool to see him uh, wind up somewhere because he, he was a guy I was worried about. I wasn't sure anybody would pick him up, and somebody did. Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. Now, don't get confused. The former slot receiver, Pimpleton, went to Central Michigan. That's right. 
different. And Pimpleton had a great career at Central Michigan. Tech played so. at Western Michigan one year. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, I remember that. If you complain about playing at Liberty and that was the Alex, Dominion, that was the that was Alex a two Marker for one Giannakis game, thirty to yeah. nothing win. I don't know how I remember that. So anyway, to Chris's point, I kind of I kind of talked over top of him. Yeah, it's Tech did a two for one. Western Michigan came here twice, and Tech went there once. Did Western Michigan score in any of those three games? I don't remember. I I know. I remember they had uh, Greg Jennings on one of their teams, like their yeah, 2004 team. That, that yeah, who was an All Pro for the Packers in the NFL, but got shellacked. I want to say like 62 to nothing or something in lane. They might have scored in one of those games. Probably. I they. I remember they got really excited when Tech came up there, and it was wasn't close for very long. Was that know. a Jim Weaver thing? That was a he Jim used to Weaver work there schedule. schedule that? That's right. He was their athletic director. Yeah, makes sense. And in exchange for not hiring Gary Darnell, uh, Jim Weaver agreed to go to Western Michigan for one year. Well, thank you, Will, for the updates on Virginia Tech athletics outside of football. We're going to take a break here on episode 294 of the Tech Sideline podcast. And when we come back, we'll talk defense. Welcome you back into episode 294 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Shifting to the defense, first off, very excited for what it's going to look like under Chris Marvin, his first year as a defensive coordinator. That on-camera interview during the game, he's hungry. He seems like he expect the be- he expects the best, and I assume a lot of these guys enjoy playing for him. Yeah, he's got a lot of energy. He's young. I think he's had you know the right upbringing as a coach. He's coached under some good coaches and. Quite frankly, the one game that he called plays last year, it went very well. And I think Pry, by splitting his duties up last year, made himself a worse head coach, but he also made himself a worse defensive coordinator. Do you remember the Georgia Tech game when when they com- uh, converted like that third and long play? and they, After a timeout. After yeah. a timeout. And then he came at, he came out after the game and said, I shouldn't have called that play that because, because we barely practiced, practiced it. it. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, you're sitting here thinking about you're trying to think ahead as a head coach, but you've also got to call the upcoming play as a defensive coordinator. And it's just that's a lot to process for, for anybody. Um, so I, I think – I think splitting up those duties this year are going to make uh, Virginia Tech better at head coach and defensive coordinator. And uh, I, I think I think Marv's one of those guys. He's done a good job building linebacker depth. I don't know if there's a star there, although I think I think Kelly Lawson certainly has an opportunity to, to be one. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at Mike. It was going to be Jaden McDonald, and then he was kind of banged up, so they put Keller there, and they say he's gotten better. Tisdale was out for part of the spring. Is he going to be a Mike or is he going to be a wheel? I think they're still sorting that stuff out. But um, I, I think there's there's more, like a number of other spots, there's more depth there than there was uh, uh, last year. I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody as good as Dax against the run, but I think they'll be improved in pass coverage. 
And Marv has already gotten the coach speak aspect of being a coordinator down because he says absolutely nothing. He says it very ex- excitedly, but then you go back and listen to it, you're like, there's just no specifics <laughs> in that answer whatsoever. I mean, he's very, he's very excitable, like you said. And, uh, it's a very, the way he teaches, I think is a very intellectual way about teaching football. Like it's just, it's, yeah, that's just what he is. I mean, he went to Vanderbilt. He, he, I think he was accepted to law school when he was there. He's a really smart guy. And uh, that comes across when you speak to him, but it is tough to get specifics out of him when you, when you ask him a question. Well, in every spring game for every team, there seems to be a freshman that wows everyone. And without putting too much stock in it, because it is a spring game, most Phillips looks like he may have a quicker process to getting on the field if the opportunity presented itself. Remember like the day we first heard Tech offer him or or maybe it was a day he committed or it was right. It was you were doing the signing day videos and I watched this video for the first time. I'm like the first I don't think they could hear me yelling from the next room like he almost <laughs> decapitated a guy. I mean, I don't, I don't have ever seen like anybody hit like he does in, in high school. Um like he loves contact. He's got a heavy shoulder. And, you know, he, again, he's a guy who's supposed to be in high school and he showed that he wasn't afraid to get it out, get in there and mix it up with with more ex- older, more experienced players. So he he has the look of someone who has a good chance to be a three-year starter for Virginia Tech. I think when you're looking at freshmen and how quickly they can play, you look at a couple things. You look at uh, availability. What is his path? to the field and you look at physicality is does he need a red shirt year does he need to get bigger and everybody could get bigger but there's a baseline level of physicality that you need to play at the college level and I think he has it and the way that he's played uh sure sounds like that and then you look at the opportunity side of it and this year people's Jalen Stroman those are the first team safeties and after that it's wide open I mean Jalen Hoyle they moved him to, to whip linebacker or out Sam linebacker now uh on this defense they say it's just for spring I feel like it might be more than that. I feel like they might keep him there. Uh, the other safeties are two converted wide receivers, Jalen Jones and Luke Bustle. So just not a lot of options right now at safety. Nike Johnson's hurt, so he, he's out uh, for a, a while here. I, I think there's just a chance for him to get the reps that he needs and, and an opportunity there that, you know, if they need to go to a nickel package or slide somebody somewhere else. I know Nasir Peoples has, has worked a little bit at the Sam linebacker spot too. Uh, maybe he could get on the field in some capacity this year. Andy, I want to give you a chance to talk about the defensive ends because is it safe to say that that should be a focus for improvement in these summer months to come? Yeah, the, I just don't see a difference maker there. I don't see a guy that you, you line up and you go, we got to know where whatever number is on the field. Every, like you really miss Every Taiwan single Garbutt. play. Yeah, you miss Garbutt. I, I don't think he ever got quite got to that level that uh, you say that's a guy that we have to worry about all the time. And I'm trying to think of the last guy they had like that. I mean, it was for two and a half games, it was Trayvon Hill in 2018. And then you that went down. thought downhill. it was going to be Armand. Right. Uh, thought Armand, it was going to be Barno. Barno. That's it. Thought it was going to be Barno. <laughs> he kind of did it in a, a backup capacity and, and caught some people by surprise in that 2021, 2020 season. I think it was and then 2021. Uh, they accounted for him a little yeah. bit better, and it was kind of weird how they used him sometimes. But, I mean, it has been a long time since they've just had this fearsome edge rusher. And that's sort of the name of the game right now is getting after quarter. Like You can't let these offenses sit back and just tear you up. I mean, they will carve you apart if you, if you let them do that. You've got to get in there and disrupt. And I think you saw good pressure at the spring game from the interior line. I thought those guys held up pretty well. Those are some some old heads as Pry like to call them, they've been here for a couple of years, but those ends, 
you know, McCray got a sack, quote unquote sack. If you get within, you know, five feet of them, they're going to whistle the play dead. Uh, I think there was only one other pressure the entire time from the end. So that's just a position I think they need to get better at in terms of pressuring the quarterback. And, you know, the defense is not going to truly reach its potential until that group does it. I think they got to get creative. Um, I don't necessarily mean more blitzing, although I'm sure they will will do that to try to make up for the lack of natural pass rushers. But I'm thinking maybe like on third and 12, um, you know, you stand Kelly Lawson up at end and rush him and then bring Tisdale in at linebacker. And then if, if Feldarius Payne is healthy, then he's your third and 12 defensive tackle pass rush specialist as a, form, as a former defensive end. I think you've got to get creative a little bit with some of your personnel and try to find ways to manufacture sacks like that. Ideally, you get some in early downs, though, and then that's how you force teams into long yardage situations. Chris, you alluded to it earlier. That first interception drones through that was picked off by Derek Canteen. It wasn't necessarily Canteen who made the play in that situation. Oh, that was uh, Jalen. Jalen Stroman came down, closed really quickly, diagnosed the play very quickly, uh, really took a great angle to the ball. And that, that's really hard to do for a safety as judge angles. Uh, and, you know, he could have easily got if he had if he had overshot the angle, he would have run right into the back of Canteen. If he had undershot the angle, he would have run right into one of his linebackers. But he only had about three or four yards of space. And he hit it perfectly right in the middle. So it's actually it's actually a pretty well designed offensive play to try to uh, you know uh, make the defense do things perfectly. I'll say, and and I think the offense could have executed it better if drones, you know, I think, had thrown it to the right guy. But at the same time, Stroman I thought made a really impressive play on the ball. He was defensive MVP at the spring, um, and uh, I think. Third year in the program, if you look at his brother, like Stroman, Greg Stroman made a name for himself returning punts early in his career, but it wasn't until his third year that he really started breaking out as a defensive back, and, and now we see Jalen following the same track, albeit at a different position. I remember watching Greg early in his career, and I'm just like, I just don't see it. it some of those East Carolina, that East Carolina game oh down goodness. there, it, yeah. was, it was pretty rough, and I'm like, this guy's so small. And, you know, credit to Torian Gray, who obviously has a lot more defensive backs knowledge than, you know, idiots like me watching the <laughs> sideline. But he saw something and he's like, this guy's going to be good. And then by the time he was a senior, he's first team all ACC. Incredible player. Uh, you know, Jalen last year was sort of a pseudo starter. Uh, they go to that nickel package and Chamari will go down to, to the nickel spot. They would put Jalen in the game. And I don't think he started the game, but I think he was fourth or fifth on the team in tackles 314 so, snaps yeah he played a lot last year so this is not a guy that's brand new to the field uh and i think that you know the partial experience last year is going to help him quite a bit yeah so i think 314 snaps last year 72 as a freshman so you know you got over 400 snaps at this point you're in your third year you know you know what you're doing out there at this point or at least you should um his I th he actually outgraded peoples last year he had a higher, higher PFF grade than, than people's. Uh, his best game came against Miami, and that happens to be like the game where he played the most snaps. He had a really, he had a, like a, an elite level grade, like an 87 grade against Miami last year. So I, I wouldn't, sh I actually think he's going to be, my gut feels he's going to be Tech's best safety this year. I know people's has more experience, but, but I, I do think Stroman will prove to be better. Yeah. So Stroman, <clears throat> I just looked it up. Andy Stroman was listed with the, Fourth highest number of tackles on the team, uh, as you said, didn't start a single game. 
and you have to go, you got to go pretty far down the list before you find somebody else who didn't start a game that was, that had, had very many tackles. So it's a lot of tackles for a guy that fourth on the team, a guy that didn't start any games. Now to take a step back and look at spring ball as a whole, what do you feel like you found out about this team throughout spring ball? Brent, Brent Pry has said that they aren't where they want to be, but they're moving the needle farther towards where they want to be. I just feel like they have more dudes this year. <laughs> Last year, you come in as a head coach, you're over the scholarship limit to begin with. You need a bunch of guys to leave in the first place. You, you're kind of getting a sense of what the roster is like before you hit the portal too much. I just think they, they were kind of playing the, the hand they were dealt last year, and it was pretty rough. There are some situations where they were playing guys and they had no other choice, even if those guys weren't up to snuff. So I think this year there's there's more options. Uh, you get to that second team, there's still some troublesome spots, but I th think there are fewer of them than there were last year. And, and that's a big deal because – you know, you're going to have injuries during a season and somebody's going to be forced to come in from that second team or somebody's going to be not performing up to the level that you need them to. You want to have another option to go to. They didn't really have that receiver last year or offensive line last year. There were times the linebacker uh, was really troublesome. You know, cornerbacks, they were, they were bare bones at cornerback. Now it feels like they have three guys that they can really trust out there. So it just seems like a deeper group, and I think that will help them, certainly as games go on, because I think they wore down sometimes from starters playing so many snaps. I think last year they had to play some guys at certain positions before they were ready. Um, Jaden McDonald, Jaden Keller, those guys had to play more snaps than they were supposed to play. And I thought the defense solidified a little bit when Tisdale came back later in the, se later in the season after his uh, suspension. Um, so I, I think uh, I think those guys, you know, the McDonald's are redshirt sophomores now. Jaden Keller's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, I, I, I don't think you're going to be you're going to you're not going to be forced to throw guys out there on the field that have no idea what they're doing at that point because I mean you think about it it was tough on those guys like uh, Jaden McDonald was basically a strong safety in high school and then kind of like spent last spring as like a defensive end and then maybe a Sam I think and then by the beginning of the season oh you're starting at will now so that's like four different positions in three years for him and Jaden Keller was a guy who was kind of a quasi safety kind of like a deep linebacker and short safety at the high school level so then you're asking him to play a traditional linebacker position as a redshirt freshman uh again a lot to ask um i think they're in a better position there and uh they shouldn't have to do that in as many spots this year i just hope the offensive line can stay healthy I, that's the other thing i think the starting offensive line will be better this year i don't know, know that i would necessarily necessarily say that it's more talented i just think the the offensive staff is a little more cohesive, is my gut feel, than it was uh, a year ago. Got to find some depth. I thought Brody Meadows was good on Saturday. I went back and watched him. So he actually played some right guard as well. So I don't think the right guard battle is uh, solidified. And, and I think – I know that they would they, they would start him there if they felt like they had to. And then if something were to happen to Chaplin at left tackle, you could always move him back. And then there's always Schick, who has experience as tack at tackle as well. But you'd like to see see him add another offensive line piece. But on the whole, I feel better about the depth – or not the depth of that position, but the, the starters. All right, anything else from you guys regarding spring ball or the spring game? 
What was the attendance, Chris? What do you think? Uh, you know, I was uh, I was in the west stands myself, so it's hard to get a view because you're looking across to the east stands and you can tell how Which many people decimated. over there, but you can't see what's around you. Was the west side like 80% full, 75? Probably something, something like, that. like that. So It looks good. It's probably a little over 20,000. I would say. That's what but, say. But, Do but, not send me messages telling me what you think it was. Between 20 and 25,000. No, nowhere near as good as Tech has done in the past, but at the same time, way, way better than most teams' spring games. I, saw, I did see a screen cap of uh, one certain school to the northeast of their spring game. Not so impressive. I just think, uh, so, <clears throat> I don't know, my, t- my take on uh, spring football and a lot of this is captain obvious. It's true every year. There's some key guys on this team that can't get hurt, you know, and that's true every year, particularly if defensive ends, for example, start start falling or get a couple of quarterbacks hurt, you know, you're in big trouble. Uh, I also wonder looking, who's going to be the guy that's going to step up? Like, um I was doing a lot of research and thinking and stuff. Have we mentioned who the MVPs were? Have we gone through some of those awards? Because Parker Clements was an MVP. Stroman was the defensive MVP, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then special teams MVP, Jalen Jones and Bryce Duke. Yeah. Um, so there there are guys that I really think Stroman looks the part. Yeah. And that's a guy, just an example, just a random example. If that guy could step up and have a great year, it could, it could make a big difference. And I'd like – couple of those guys on offense, a couple of those guys on defense, you know, stay relatively injury free. Uh, were there any false starts on Saturday? <laughs> no, no, there were a couple of offsides on the defense, but that's it. And remember, Wells took advantage of both of them, threw it deep yes. and completed, completed yeah. both. And, um, Wells, uh, if I remember correctly, was 10 of his first 12 and the, the two incompletions were intentional throwaways. That's right. He looked, you know, he looked good. And can we, can we please carry that into the season? And, and I looked at the schedule the other day and I put this on the message board. Um, I only feel good about like maybe four games. So you have to be pleasantly surprised to get up to six and get to a bowl game. Um, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, just let's just see signs of progress this coming year. Everybody's going to ask us towards the lead up to the season. How many games are, gonna, are they going to win? What do you think? What's your expectations? And my expectations, I'm not. I don't know. I said last year I didn't know what to expect. It was a brand-new coaching staff. And this year there's so many new players. There's a couple of new offensive coaches. Uh, I personally have never gone 3-8 and eight before, so I don't know how to feel. Right? I have no idea how I'm supposed to feel or what I'm supposed to expect the next year. My expectations are very, very simple right now. And it's just the first game. Tech can do two things in that first game that they didn't do last year. Beat Old Dominion, score 30 points. Yeah. And don't, don't commit a ton of penalties. <laughs> there are little things that even if they only, you know, their schedule's tougher this year. Yeah. Uh, even if they only go five and seven, maybe six and six. Four and eight, it's tough. It's hard to dress that up and, and call it a success. But just as, as we sliced and diced many times last year, there were teams that in early on in Frank Beamer's tenure that record-wise weren't very good, but they were competitive and they didn't look incompetent. And this team, this whole group, unfortunately, I mean, 10 false starts at NC State, that's, that's you know, I, th- I think we talked about this on the last podcast. I, I went back and I compared it to the 10 sacks that NC State had in 2004. In 2004, in Lane Stadium, Tech gave up 10 sacks to NC State. They haven't given up that many sacks since then, not even close. I think we'll remember the 10 false starts. I hope we'll remember 
the ten falls starts in a similar way. Like, yeah, boy, that was awful. Glad they don't do that anymore. You know, that kind of stuff. Ten false starts in the game that they led, what, 21 to three? And then yes. blew and it. All, I mean, that, that tells point. you, like, those factored in because uh, you, you don't, you <laughs> yes. don't lose a game like that by that small margin where, you know, 10 penalties that are avoidable like that could have made the difference. So that there's, it seems like there's many minor things that they can do uh, to improve that, you know, a, a couple wins here or there gets you to six. I mean, they, they could have been four and eight last year. They canceled the Virginia game. That was definitely a winnable game at the end of the year. Could they improve by two wins and get to six? That that's a very reasonable goal. And I think it should be a goal that they have as a team to get get back to a bowl game. You know, I, I agree with that. And and I think these days, how many teams go to bowls these days? Over eighty? I think Something so. Like I think it was and, eighty. And there and there's a hundred and thirty FBS teams thereabout. So well over half. Well over half. Hmm. So like two thirds. So I think it's a fair expectation for your team to make a bowl game. Especially if you're a parent a power five team and what is Especially the here, what, what, right? I mean, when you you have a near thirty year bowl streak, like it's just an expectation, right? And which is why last year was so jarring. It's like they weren't. Not only did they miss the bowl game, they didn't even come close, right? I think that's the part that is most concerning. But uh, you know, you look at the games they gave away last year. ODU at the end, NC State had that lead. They gave it away. Georgia Tech. You make one play, you don't fumble it inside the 10-yard line. I mean, there's just so many things that could have gone the other way. And there are other games that, that they had pulled out that were the same way. But it just seems like minor things and, and steady improvements, it, it should get this team around 500 at the very least. Well, I think the best takeaway from the spring game is that no one got hurt. So Yes, <laughs> extremely important. Now's the time where I'd ask what's coming up on Tech Sideline the rest of the week. A couple more articles from you guys about and, Spring Bowl. Andy's in a series of uh, you know depth chart projections post-spring, and I'm following those uh, with my own. Here's what I think about the personnel at each position and where they're headed, whether they should dip into the transfer portal in the summer or, or whatever, generic things like that. So basically we're, we're hitting you with a double, double dose. Basically what you would have gotten in the past from Tech Sideline and – his former establishment. Now you've got all in one spot. It's, it's like a double latte instead of a yes, single latte. Exactly it's, right. It's coming at you powerful. And in a general sense, one of the things that adding Andy is, is allowing us to do, I think, is we, we've always been a, a good reporting and analysis house. But now that we can bring more manpower to it, you're going to see more features. Um, so that's one of the things that will help everybody get through the summer is, um, you know, we'll do some interviews and do some features that we have. We now have people that we have enough people that we can do that sort of thing. So I encourage everybody to sign up. We now have, uh, in addition to Chris's weekly Friday Q and a, we now have Andy's mailbag and so far they're not stepping on each other's toes, but it's uh, it, it's good stuff. So I do have an admission to make. Um, when Andy worked for the Roanoke times and for the athletic, I almost never read his stuff because I didn't want to know how good it was. <laughs> I knew it was good, People told me it was good, and I'm like, you know, no, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't see you, you know. And <laughs> I've been reading Andy's stuff since he joined us, and I'm like, damn, that's good. You so. can get the sense from the headlines from from those olden days. That tells the whole story right there. <laughs> um, so I encourage everybody to uh, to uh, subscribe, and we'll, we'll help you get through these upcoming late spring and summer months. Well, it was another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in and thank everybody on set today. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. You can follow him at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Andy Better, senior staff writer. He's at Andy Better VT on Twitter. Will Stewart, founder and general manager for Tech Sideline. He's at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. 
Nick Brown producing. Thank you, Nick. And I'm your host, Katie Adams, signing off on episode 294 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll see you next time.